it's on the last loop. Pete, you love the intro. You don't get into it without the intro, do you? Very excited about tonight's show, Stuart. It's been several months, but this is big, isn't it? This is big. This is the 80s epic. Feminine Research has gone into tonight's show. We are doing the big soundtracks of the 80s. All of those VCR tapes that we were just watching away as five, eight, ten-year-olds. I'm excited. What about you, Stu? Uh, man, I've, I've never been more excited about a squash session. I think this is going to be one of the epics, one of the greats. I think it's going to go down as probably the most listened to Scotch session. I'm just going to put it out there. I think so many people are interested in 80s movie themes and songs. And I think we've got the best of it. And I think you and I are going to push each other pretty hard in this session. And that's why I bought a very good Scotch that we're going to talk about uh, later on. You queue one up while you do that. Uh, I'll just say to the listeners, stick with us and uh, get through a few of these. We've got some really nice ones in the end. Emotional last night uh, recording these, so let's let's do it.
man, massive. Cry Little Sister from the Lost Boys soundtrack. Kiefer Sutherland, Jason Patrick. The two, What's the guy the two from... Corys. Two Corys. Two Corys. And also, the one that everyone forgets is the guy from... Um, What's his name? Andrew something or other from, um, what, uh, from Bill and Ted's. 1987 American horror comedy cult film, I guess. I mean, I don't know how well it did at the box office. 32 million, three and a half to make. But uh, always been one of my childhood favourites. I remember sitting in a mate's house probably under the age of 10 uh, at a sleepover. Like, tell me, like, who gave you that film? Because it was... I was banned from seeing it when I was a little kid. Oh, I just had a couple of mates who you'd always have a sleepover with and they were the ones where you could watch the bad, the R-rated films. There are a couple more coming up today. And that first tune that you played there, Stuart, The Terminator, I think that was also banned in my household, but I managed to get uh, get some eyes on it at a, at a mate's sleepover. So who made, so who made uh, Cry Little Sister? It, it, it's, who, is, who is the artist... Tell us more about like the background of that song. Do you know any much? The score was done by Thomas uh, Newman, um, but the actual the actual lead song there, um, I'm not entirely sure. He may have done it, but uh, it was it was the theme song, so I assume that he was uh, he was also the artist. Yeah, I had it on well, my list. It. I had it on my list as well. I'm just going to scroll down here just because I'm just trying to work out Gerard McMahon is the uh, artist on that one. I don't think he had too big a career, Gerard, given that we don't really know his name that well. Um, but neither do we, really, do we really know the name of Brad Friedel. Uh Brad Friedel was a goalkeeper for Blackburn and um, for the US national men's uh, football team. But that's not the guy. Brad Friedel is a guy who produced the soundtrack to Terminator, Terminator 2 as well, uh, which was very much based around that uh, tune. And, man, if there's ever a more menacing start to a Scotch session, I don't think we've had one. Can you think of one? Yeah. It was on my list as well there. But yeah. uh... He did the soundtracks to Fright Night and Fright Night Part 2, blah, blah, blah. But he never really ever got to the heights that he did with Terminator. That soundtrack just it's it's just a mechanical beast of a soundtrack. Like dun 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 dun. It just says everything about Skynet. Absolutely. Um, I didn't even bother watching the remakes because the first two were just so damn good. Am I gonna kick off the the next one here, Stu?
Energy there, Stuart. I know the song very well. I'm just trying to pick the movie. Um, of my last song. Are you, are you kidding was me? It cocktail? No, are you kidding me? Well, Hate is on. That's that's Beverly Hills Cop 1984. Glenn Fry. Ah, uh, Beverly Hills. So, so Glenn Glenn Fry was uh, well Fry, depending on which way you pronounce it. I don't even know how he pronounced it. Uh, died last year. He was one of the original members of the Eagles, and the, some argued that he was more popular by doing that song than he was by being in the Eagles, because that is a massive, massive '80s tune um, that actually wasn't written by him. It was written by Harold Faltermeyer, who may pop up later on in this little scotch mm. session who is a uh, a a, um, a german guy who did know how to produce a decent tune so yep we're talking uh, axel foley beverly hills cop and that was uh, one of the biggest songs of the 80s it didn't make number one strangely i i thought it did but it actually wasn't it was number two in march 85 behind can't fight this feeling by reo speedwagon another very good song which does feature high on the Stuart cox karaoke playlist very famous playlist it's pretty long it's got a lot of power ballads well that first one there uh was fight to survive by stan bush which was obviously the uh the adventures of frank dukes and Bloodsport. I think most males living through the '80s saw that. True story. Uh, Man, I watched I watched this recently, and like the fight scenes are hilariously bad. Like they're just missing <laughs> each other by so far on the replays. It's uh, like, interestingly, uh, it's uh, it was a two point three million dollar film to make. It grossed sixty five million at the box office, so it was a success. Jean Claude Van Damme. Man, that's all we need to say. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Like, I mean, was that was that one of his first big ones? I was watching a few of the films back on YouTube yesterday. He looks pretty young. Um, the Dutchman. But, uh, yeah, I think it might have been one of his first. But he... I mean, he's, he's an athlete when you look at some of the stuff he was doing. And considering the guy did the splits between two semi-trailers for a Volvo ad only last year at the age of, like, 56 or something, the guy is genuinely... I'll have like, to... Have- have to YouTube that Volvo ad. I haven't seen it. You haven't seen that? Oh, Curtis. Seriously. You get a man crush on just watching that ad. It's ridiculous. I mean, any guy could do the splits between two cars at 50-something has to be given, like, some sort of award. <laughs> well, and so I hope the audience enjoyed those two. We've got uh, a few more to come. I think you're going to kick us off with the next one, Stu. There are going to be some ballads in here. There's going to be some... Uh, some big ballads, I, I can feel it. You can feel ballads? Oh, I can feel a bit... I'm, I'm wondering whether I should divert a little bit or should I bring us back and just with the strength of ballads. So I'm torn between the two. Let's see where we go. I'm so pumped. I'm just getting my, my 80s vibe on. I feel like getting the leg warmers on, Curtis. You know, I don't know where we can hold back on the leg warmers. All right, it's time to do two more. Another hot day 
Curtis. I'm, I'm, I'm like racking my brain, and I have a feeling. Look, I want to say no retreat, no surrender. Yeah, pretty close, I would say. Uh, this is a film, 1986, written by Sylvester Stallone. Uh, you've got to get onto YouTube and watch the film clip. What that is fucking song? What is it? <laughs> so, who, who is it's it? Co- it's Cobra. Cobra. Yeah, that was Angel of City uh, by Robert Tepper. Robert um, Tepper. Oh. Yeah. Uh, cult film. I mean, I remember seeing this as a young kid at James Ellerman's house. And it was rated R. This was not a film for young people. But, uh, yeah, it's got a very epic soundtrack. I'm going to be looking for it on an LP. I want to find the vinyl to it because every tune on there is, is very epic. And I'm glad you enjoyed that. Man, I, I, it takes me back to, like, my Megaforce appreciation days. And, um, you know, like, it reminds me of Mask. It reminds me of, like, those 80s shows that were about like kind of secretive chaos you know environments that were like sort of followed on from the get smart era i love it oh it's so good um and also because robert tepper has an 80s legacy in many songs all right before we get on to robert tepper um danger zone i mean how can you go past well, top, top, top 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 gun top gun really that was an anthem. I mean, I watched Top Gun the other day. I, I saw uh, Tom Cruise on uh, a talk show with um, uh, one of the young guys that wants to be in the remake. I can't remember his name. It'll come to me. But uh, Top Top, uh, yeah, I mean, that was breakthrough for him. He, I don't think any, no one really knew who he was when Tom Cruise uh, hit the hit the stage on that. Yeah, oh, it was a bit of risky business before that. But really, Top Gun was the signature movie for Tom Cruise. And that soundtrack is goes down as like one of the greatest achievements in the 80s um given the amount of hit songs the quality of music the the ridiculousness of like promoting war in the 80s especially in cold war period which is one of the reasons why um certain artists refused to record the song so danger zone was was um written by giorgio moroda of um I used to go to discotheques uh, back in the Germany. You know, I like to uh, go to... And this is the song. You know, like on the last uh, Daft Punk album, Giorgio by Moroda, <laughs> which you Graphic. love. You love it. And so this song was released in 86. And the film was made by Bruckheimer, Don Simpson, uh, directed by uh, Tony Scott, who was the brother of um, Ridley Scott. And anyway, so Giorgio Moroda was approached to write some songs. Brian, uh, originally, Toto was supposed to perform the track. And they had... Toto. Africa. Yep, Africa. They were going to go... But then legal conflicts happened. They refused it. Then Brian Adams. Oh, do you want to sing um, this song, do Danger Zone? And he's like, oh, no, that glorifies war. I'm not going to do it. Okay. Oh well, how about um, REO Speedwagon? Do you guys want to do Danger Zone? And they're like, Oh no, um, we want to put some of our own stuff on the track. Oh no, you're not allowed to. All right. Well, you guys can't do it. Um, Corey Hart. He goes, uh, Do you want to do Danger Zone? He goes, No, no, no. I perform to write my own stuff. Thanks. And then so Kenny Loggins <laughs> gets the track and basically gets a home run for free. And then he he's, he's like, Yeah. Do you want me to print me millions of dollars and 
like endorsements for the rest of my life. He didn't really do much for the track. It was actually George Amaroda. Ah, right, right time, right place. Good tune, bit of an anthem. Big anthem. I'm sure we've got a couple of anthems coming up. I mean, I've got a couple of ballads coming up, actually. What about you? Mate, we've got some massive ones. So I'm going to let you lead this next uh, little stanza.
formerly known as Prince, then known as Prince after being formerly known as Prince. He was one of the generational defining artists, I would dare say. He was one of the best that we had in our time. And that is, I reckon, the best song of the Purple Rain soundtrack. Yeah, I agree. I I recently watched it when he passed away last year and uh, I'd never seen it prior to that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I... I love that tune. I've always loved that tune, and it uh, does it does stop me. It's a mini maestro, really. I mean, like, yeah, it's just so much balance between vocals, funk, uh, electro. I just think it's just such a great song. It just it says everything about like you know what we like about the '80s, and that's why it has to be in there. Yeah, absolutely. 
tuned before. And that first one, I, I, I wasn't sure whether you, uh, you, I mean, you probably recognize the singer, but you know, Basic Instinct was the film that I wasn't allowed oh. to watch in the 90s. And uh, Nine and a Half Weeks nine Mickey and Rourke and was the film that I wasn't allowed to watch in the 80s. And I watched Nine and a Half Weeks at a very young age. I probably didn't know who Brian Ferry was or Roxy Music, but that was the first single that Brian Ferry released after breaking up uh, from Roxy Music, Slave to Love. And I remember it vividly because the song reminds me of forbiddenness mate it is and nine and a half weeks was a forbidden film to watch i mean the basic instinct for our generation was like a massively forbidden film and you know all of us did see it because we just like it didn't matter what hell hell or high water you found a way to see that film just so you could see like you know sharon stone do the old leg part but Nine and a Half Weeks was the one that was like the older guys, a few years above me, who they were like, oh, the Mickey Rourke, Nine and a Half Weeks, these couple, like just basically shagging themselves senseless. And you're like, what? And you're, just like, and you're like, <laughs> what? And you're like, Kim Basinger, you mean like the girl who's in like, you know, Batman, the hot blondie? And they're like, yeah, that one. And you're like, no way. She gets a rack out? And you're like, oh my God. And yeah, as a, as a young man, you're like, this is ridiculous. So yeah, so nine and a half weeks is nineteen eighty five. Um, so that's you know that's mid eighties. The song was also used in Miami Vice, Fire with Fire, Bitter Moon, and Malice, which was a nineties film. So that I mean, Brian Ferry for me, his voice and his moodiness has always captured me. I really like uh, always like Roxy music. Man, I think it's it's very appropriate for nine and a half weeks, given Brian Ferry's in there. So we've got uh, two more tunes to take us up to 10. So we've just made an executive call here just in the little uh, listening to that, that last two tunes that we're going to do part one and part two of this because it's just too big. Like the A is just too good. We're not going to do it justice in 10 tunes. I mean, you guys know that. So let's just go part one, part two, whet your appetite a little bit, you know, get you excited, you know. Take us into our last two, Stu, uh, and then let's get some uh, comments from the from the listeners, and then we'll queue up a second show. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. The last two, I'm going to start this one, and it's going to be something that's going to be out of the box, and it's going to hurt you. You know, you're going to be like, what the fuck is this? And I look forward to that. I want to, I want to see some impressions.
There can only be one. And for a Frenchman by the name of Christopher Lambert, there was only one at the time. 
And that was Queen with Who Wants to Live Forever. Yes? It was the brave heart of the 80s. And I'm sure Mel Gibson probably thought, wow, how can I make that better? Whether he did, I don't know. But I did see Highlander as a young kid, and it was one of my rugby motivational movies. It was a... Maybe, maybe it used to get me going. Oh, man. It was it was one of the great, amazing films of that period. And Highlander, you know, like I've been to that castle the on the Isle of... Just outside the Isle of Skye. Trying to think of what the name of that castle is. I started a, a adventure race from there actually with the Drambuie Pursuit many moons ago, but it was incredible. And you can see where they did like the 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 walk of the Highlanders through like the the poles and stuff. Oh, it was incredible. It was just I was it was really quite moving. And they when if you can imagine if you played. Scotland, all you need to do is just add bagpipes to anything. It makes it seem quite majestic and kind of graceful and, and impressive. You know, you could just, you could have a couple of chickens crossing a road and that would seem pretty impressive if you put bagpipes to it. And that was one of those places where it was very impressive when they heard the bagpipes. Yeah, well, it was a brilliantly shot film. Russell McKay, it, I mean, it, it also had Sean Connery, a fairly young, well, mid-aged guy, but... It was it was kind of around the time of Blade Runner, yeah. it was Highlander, and it was just around the time where there were these epic films going on with these massive scores. And if you're going to have a, a band doing a soundtrack, I mean, Queen and Freddie Mercury provide a lot of emotion. I mean, Flash Gordon was another uh, movie that Classic. Martin, my father, showed me, and he was he was just he was really fond of Queen. And, and Freddie Mercury, like the guy's ability to just produce emotions, amazing. Oh, it was absolutely incredible. Which takes me on to the the tune preceding it. So, Peter, do you have any idea what the hell was going on there? At the beginning, with all the drums and the uh, eclectic like, uh, percussion going on, I thought, this is coming to America, but I don't think it was. No, it's not. Um it's very much no, the opposite. So that is from the soundtrack of Akira, the 1988 Japanese science fiction anime film directed by Katsuhiro Otomo, which basically landed manga, anime, Japanese animation in the rest of the world. And Akira was like set in like this cyberpunk kind of Tokyo in 2019. It tells a story of like, you know, Neo Tokyo. And it was just out of this world if that film doesn't get made nothing happens um with japanese anime after that it's it's incredible and the soundtrack was part of it and it blows you apart as you can feel the build-up of that song which is called kaneda's theme and uh kaneda kaneda and so i've got it kaneda's theme is basically by a guy let me just bring up the uh, details I have on this. Where do I have it? Soundtrack. Yeah, there we go. Um, so it was actually a pseudonym, I'm pretty sure, wasn't it? it was, yeah. So they called a musical director Shoji Yamashiro, but it was actually a guy called Tsutomu Ohashi. And um, yeah, it was re-recorded for the release. Kaneda, Battle Against Clowns, Exodus, all these songs were just 
unbelievable. So what you should do is just sit down, watch this film, and just absorb it on something which has uh, a big screen and put a massive sound system around you because Akira is the future of animation post-Disney period. It just blows everything out of the water and just shows us what um, Asian... What Kim Jong-il could possibly be doing to Japan in the next five years. So, well, I'm pretty sure King Jong-il doesn't have psychic abilities that can blow up entire planets. So that kind of... You can't of, even say his name. It's Kim Jong-un. Yeah, well, King Jong-un. <laughs> King Jong-il was, uh, it was his grandfather, wasn't it? Sorry. I, get, I, I get, don't know. I get carried away. Maniacs. Anyway, so that's... Finishes. All right, let's do it. We're on a roll. I think we're on a roll. We can't end it there, can we? Well, no, I think we should, we should break it at part one because that's 10 tunes. And you guys can digest that, download it, blah, blah, blah. Do your thing, you know, plug us up, give us cash, whatever. We're going to sign off now, but you're going to come back for part two and you're going to lick your lips and go, what is coming up? So, Pete, you want to right. give him a sign off? Is it- we're signing off. Is- 80s, we love you. We'll be back. We'll be back soon with part two.